Welcome to VBAC Birth Stories. Join us as we speak to Australian women about their journey towards a vaginal birth after cesarean. In Australia, the cesarean rate has risen to 36%. That's one of the highest rates in the developed world. We hope that by sharing these stories, women and their care providers are able to gain insight into why these rates are on the increase. We also get to meet and understand the women behind these numbers. We are your hosts, Mel and Steph, and we hope you enjoy Season 3 of VBAC Birth Stories. Hi everyone, I hope that you're well. Welcome to this week's episode of VBAC Birth Stories. Mel and I sat down recently with Jaden, who's a Sydney-based mum of two girls. Jaden experienced perinatal depression and anxiety, as well as postpartum depression. She bravely shares with us her story on how she navigated these periods. The experience inspired her to give back to women going through the same challenges. Jaden sheds light and humour on some dark moments. She speaks about her challenges and blessings and how her husband and support team of health professionals kept her feeling safe through this time. For Jaden, her primary caesarean didn't affect her frame of mind or make her any less of a mother. She just wanted to have the experience of a vaginal delivery the second time around. Jaden's VBAC is really secondary to a story of immense personal growth, bravery, and the making of a mother. It's a lesson on how we can support mothers who do struggle, whether it be physical or mental, and the importance of creating a village that bolsters new mothers with the right support. Thank you so much, Jaden, for sharing your very personal story with us this week. As a slight language warning on this episode, but it's all in good humour and we do hope you enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Made for Mums, uniquely crafted practical hampers to support and nurture women during postpartum. Whether it is a first, second or third baby, Made for Mums gift hampers are tailored to suit a mother's needs. Founded by this week's podcast guest, Jaden, after the birth of her second child, the hampers are designed to make mums feel supported, nourished and appreciated. But it's not only about hampers. Made for Mums also aims to build community and support for new mothers, a cause close to founder Jaden's heart after her own experience of perinatal depression and anxiety and postpartum depression. Each hamper sold comes with exclusive online access to Genevieve Muir's Connected Parenting course, a course that explains why parenting can be so hard and also teaches new parents how to find the lightness and humour in it all. As well as this, with every hamper gifted, $5 will be donated by Made for Mums to Gidget Foundation Australia, a support service for new families struggling with parenthood. Be sure to visit the website madeformums.com.au to browse their beautifully crafted hampers, as well as connect with Made for Mums on Instagram to join their nurturing and growing community. Mm. 
Thanks, Jaden, for joining us today to share your VBAC story. Would you like to start by telling us a bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to, yeah, share the story because it was so incredible for me. And when I saw your podcast, I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. So basically, I'm a mother to two beautiful little girls, Georgia, who's three. She was a cesarean, an emergency cesarean delivery after 42 hours of labor. And then I've got little Rhea, who is, well, Maria Perry, who is 17 months old, and she was a VBAC. I didn't have anything going into my delivery with my first, with G. I literally just went, yep, okay, whatever will be, will be. I would love to do a natural, but if it's not meant to be, it's okay. We actually, my husband and I did a calm birth down at Barrel. We did a calm birth two-day beautiful retreat, as we like to call it. And <laughs> I remember, you know, our educator saying, you know, you're going to feel empowered and, and it's going to be such an incredible experience and just, you know, visualize. And I remember thinking, they're crazy. What part of that is beautiful? <laughs> My insides are probably going to rip out. I have no interest whatsoever in visualizing anything. Like I was just freaked out at that point. Going into the pregnancy, because we had planned Georgia, we didn't think she was going to come as soon as she did. And then it happened straight away. And we were both like, oh my God, okay, we're having a baby. And I think for me, I, I don't know, like I wasn't really freaked out about giving birth. Like I just want her to be safe and I want to hold her and I want to know that she's breathing and she's alive and she's healthy. I was more scared of postnatal because that had been the biggest trigger for me through my pregnancy. I didn't really think much of the delivery. I, was, I think I was more in fear of getting postnatal psychosis or postnatal depression, mm. not even prenatal because at the time I didn't know what prenatal was until I got it. But more of that, more the mental health stuff that freaked me out more, if I'm being honest. Where had that come from? Well, I suffered from anxiety from a young age and a bit of depression. So I was always high risk of postnatal and I knew that coming into being a mother. During your first pregnancy, uh, what was that like? Had you chosen public or private? And what guided those sorts of decisions? It was my GP. I have a phenomenal GP who has gotten to know me. And I basically went in and said, look, we're pregnant. And she said, okay, I have two sorts of patients, public and private. And you fit under the private because you are quite anxious. We went down the private route and the reason for that is because I felt that I needed to be held a little bit more I just wanted the angst to be off me to know that I have the one obstetrician that knows me she is going to get to know me in the nine months she had a midwife as well that I saw throughout my time with her and I would literally call her if I didn't feel Georgia if I, you know my placenta was at the front so I didn't get to feel Georgia as much so I was very highly anxious throughout my pregnancy with Georgia. And I feel like if I didn't have my obstetrician holding me in that time, I don't know how I would have coped because there was a lot of anxiety around that pregnancy. It didn't matter if I wanted to do cesarean or if I wanted to do natural. She was really, really supportive. She wasn't overbearing. She didn't put her opinions onto me she was like my mum 
if I'm being honest, she really nurtured me and I just felt safe with her. And I think that's why I didn't really have a birthing plan because I just knew I was safe with her. And so physically, how did the first pregnancy go? Did you have any complications? Um, With Georgia, God love Georgia. I had a very successful (laughs) salon, hair salon. I was a hairstylist and I was on my feet 12 hours a day some days. And bless my obstetrician, she's like, you really need to take a second to reconsider your options here because you've got fluid in your hips, you're gaining a lot of weight and your small frame cannot handle it. So I had to close my business and make that decision, which led me to prenatal depression. And physically, my body took a real hit. So I was seeing a physio three times a week. I had really bad pelvic Pelvic girdle pain. Yes, that I can never get that right. Yeah, it was horrendous. So I was in immense physical pain. I could hardly walk. And my lower back, my husband, he's a legend. He would massage me every single night. Wow. Yeah, it was just horrid. And I remember crying and saying to him, this is so shit. This is, there's nothing enjoyable about this. This is horrible. Pregnancy and I are not friends. I can't even feel her half the time. This is shit. Like, why do people do this? This is horrible. That was honestly my experience with Georgia. I, I really disliked being pregnant. I did not like it. I often questioned whether I was doing the right thing or not. And do you think as well, closing your business, do you think that had an impact on you and your sense of independence in a way? When I made that decision, that was really, really tough for me because it was the only thing in my life that I felt that I had some sort of control over. I'm really big on relationships. I just love people. And I think having to close that, I felt like I was letting everyone down. I felt like my body was giving up on me. And I think energetically, from an ego perspective, yeah, I was just, oh my God, this is, what do I have now? Like I have nothing. It was my 29th birthday and I was pregnant, obviously with G and my husband had organized this beautiful time away in the Hunter Valley. And I remember driving down and I just closed the business and, and he said to me, "Um, are you okay? Like, you're just, you're not okay. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, talk to me, like, what's going on? And I said, I don't want to be celebrating my birthday. I feel like I have nothing to celebrate. This is not how I imagined pregnancy to be all my life. I don't have my own income. I don't have anything for myself. In actual fact, none of my clothes fit me. My shoes don't fit me. I feel the biggest I've ever been in my life. It was just constant negativity, but it was real. Like what I was feeling was so real. And And then I felt guilt because, you know, I knew that there were so many people trying to fall pregnant, but they couldn't get pregnant and they were losing children. I, like, I can't explain to you what that was like. That was just hell. And I remember bawling my eyes out saying, just take me home. I just want to go home. And, you know, what are we doing? Why have we done this? And, and he's like, it's okay. I've got you. And I'm like, but it's not okay. And he's like, it's so okay. This is I think normal. <laughs> it is. It's normal for some women. You know, we can't all be pregnant unicorns. Good support in your husband, definitely. Daily massages, I mean. <laughs> I know, Lord. Yeah. And the Hunter Valley, I mean. 
bless his heart. He's a gem. He's he had no idea about mental health, and boy, did he learn all about it quick, smart. Because yeah, <laughs> it was a rough road with Georgia, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. In that first pregnancy, did you seek any help in terms of speaking to someone about how you were feeling? Yeah, so I went to my obstetrician around that time and I said, look, this is what's happening for me. I don't think it's normal. Like I feel like I'm going into a bit of a hole and I know what depression is like and I just, I'm just a bit scared that I'm getting a bit of a bit of it, like there's just no joy. I'm not finding any joy. So she said to me, I think it's time that you see someone. And I was like, yep. Okay. She said, look, I just want you to go and see a psychiatrist. And I was like, oh, why? And she's like, because I want to speak about options for medication if we need to go down that route. And instantly I felt the weight of the world on my shoulders. So that was another blow for me. So I was like, fuck, can anything go right? (laughs) This is just shit. I just felt like it's another thing to add to my plate. There was no stigma around it for me. For me personally, you've got to do what helps you and what makes things okay. I don't believe taking medication, masks, what's going on for you. I think it helps lift the edge but there's always going to be something like you always need to get to the root of what's going on. And for me, a lot came up with my pregnancy. My mom raised me on her own. She's a really successful businesswoman. And, you know, her success was having to leave me with my grandparents a lot of the time. So I was spoiled with love and spoiled with, you know, with material things, but I didn't see my mom a lot of the time. You know, so a lot of that came up for me in my pregnancy. When my ob said I need to see someone, I was totally open to it. I made the appointment straight away and I saw Rebecca, who's a psychiatrist, who's phenomenal. I've sent many people to her. I saw her and straight away, she's like, look, we don't need to go down medication right now. I think you're just suffering from a bit of prenatal. I think seeing a psychologist will help you just like do some therapy and just talk about some tools to work around, you know, your self-esteem and your, you know, am I good enough? I'm deserving. I love myself and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I did that. And then I had to, which really helped by the way, because it meant that I got to offload onto a stranger and not offload onto my husband who would have been happy to hear about it 24 seven. But I just think that being able to have that outlet and then get some tools around and some, you know, clarification around why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling and how to prevent certain things, you know, being triggers for me was really good. And that helped immensely. And I actually, I think it took about three, four weeks where I was like, okay, I'm starting to feel good. Like, this is great. Where's, you know, there's a bit of light at this tunnel. And, and then I saw Rebecca at the end of my pregnancy just to discuss post pregnancy and what we're going to do. We put a good plan into place. So I felt supported and I felt safe. It was at my last appointment with her. I think I was like due two weeks beforehand. And she's like, okay, I need to discuss postnatal psychosis. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she's like, yes, I don't, I don't want to freak you out. Anyway, she went into it with me and it did freak me out because, you know, you don't have to have 
anything. It does not discriminate. And I just thought, because I was on a on the journey of everything happening, I was like, this is going to be me. I'm like, Rebecca, I'm, I'm going to get it 100%. She's like, no, you're not. You don't know that. This is why I didn't say anything to you. And then I went back to my therapy sessions and I was like, no, catch the thought. Breathe in, breathe out. Nothing's happening right now. Keep it in the present. You know, don't project. This is where we are right now. If I need to break it down into seconds, I'm literally breaking it down into seconds. What am I doing? So there was a lot of self-talk and a lot of self, I've got this, you've got this, Jaden. Baby's safe, you're safe. All is safe in my world. I've got everyone around me. It's going to be okay. And lo and behold, I did not get it. (laughs) Did you want to take us towards the end of that pregnancy? So it sounded like you were preparing yourself well for postpartum so did that help with a lot of those fears in terms of going into the birth were you feeling more confident yeah I think when it came down to so I need to be induced because G was measuring she was measuring fine on the ultrasound but my tummy I looked like I was having twins triplets even I I kid you not I could not walk like it was incredible And so my obstetrician was like, look, you're so uncomfortable. Let's get her out. Like, let's do an induction. And I was like, yes, let's do this. I'm so excited. I did no research on inductions. I did nothing. I'm not that mum. I did no research on cesareans. I did no research on VBAC. I did nothing. So we went in. I got induced. They put like a, a gel in me and they kept it there for the most time, which was 12 hours. And then they went up with a little prick on their finger and broke my waters. And then I was hooked up to the machine to bring on labor. I was breathing through my contractions like an actual boss. I felt so empowered, like calm. (laughs) I was nailing. I love that description. (laughs) I was nailing those contractions. I was like, Stelios, this is incredible. But I needed like pure silence in the room. I was like, shh, shh, shh. And everyone, like you could hear it like a pin drop. That's how quiet the room was. But then my back labor kicked in and I had to go into the water. And so I went into the water and there's actually a photo of me in the shower holding the two rails and me like, you know, obviously butt naked with like the monitor around my tummy, the happy gas and me going, I've got this, like, this is good. I'm still breathing. It's okay. I've got it. But then I was really tired. So I went into the bath and that was like, oh, I just wanted to relax and sleep. So they allowed you to use the bath while connected to the drip to be induced. Is that right? It was my left hand. Yeah. And I had it out. That's that's the first we've heard actually of um, a, a woman allowed to use the bath while being induced. And then... My obstetrician came in. She's like, we need to do an internal. We need to see where you're at. And I was like, if you get me out of the water, I'm not going to be able to handle it. And she's like, yes, you will. I've got you. Come on, we can do this. I got out. Lo and behold, just from that one second of me telling myself that I'm going to need an epidural, I couldn't get back to that calm space. And I was like, Sue, call the anesthetist right now. I need an epidural. Listen to me. Hear me loud and clear. I need an epidural. She's like, okay, call for an epidural. So the epidural came 
So Georgia was on one side and we needed her to move to the middle. So it was really important that I didn't spend too much time on one side. I continuously had to move, but I fell asleep on the side that she was already on. When I woke up from a six hour sleep, which was pretty intense, I think it was five hours. Yeah, they did a handover with the hospital and the midwife didn't come in to wake me and change me. When I woke up, I was shivering. I could feel everything on my left side. The epidural was no longer working. I was like buzzing, 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 buzzing. There was no, there was nothing. And I was having a reaction to the epidural. My obstetrician came in, I was nine and a half centimeters. And at this point I'd given up. I was, I was not in a good place mentally, emotionally, physically. I could feel everything on my left side and I didn't feel safe. And that's when I said, okay, I need to call, you need to call my obstetrician, bring her in. When she came in, she was like, okay, Jaden, we've got two options. One, you've got a temperature of 41 degrees. So we need to get that down. Baby's heart rate is okay at this point, but it's causing stress. We need to get you either in the theater to do a cesarean or we wait until we get you to 10 centimeters and see if we can push. But I wouldn't recommend it. And at that point, I was like, push, what? What are you talking about? Get me in that theater room right away. I did not want to, I couldn't even think. Like we couldn't even have the conversation. They gave me some pan, like some tablets, which I wouldn't be able to tell you what they are. I vomited them up straight away. My husband got suited up. My mother got suited up. My husband had the GoPro ready to go. Went downstairs into theater, went into the room where they prep you. And at that point, I felt like I was in a movie. I was screaming. I was hysterical. It was very full on. The midwives, like the nurses and stuff had asked my husband to leave the room. I I just saw fear. I, I was in utter fear. I was so scared. And my obstetrician, this is what I mean. I was so supported by her. She stopped everything and she, because the cangula, it stopped working. So they had to put it in my other arm, but then blood went it was like a movie scene I'm telling you blood went everywhere it squirted and then at that point where you said they asked your husband to leave the room were you in theater no I wasn't in theater I was in the prep in the prep room okay so it's very sterile it's very isolating it's very cold yeah Yeah, I was scared shitless I was like what's happening and then my obstetrician absolute incredible woman stopped everyone and I she's such a calm person that she was such a boss in that theater room she just stopped everyone and she's like stop bring her husband back in the room and they're like but Sue and she said my theater my patient bring him back she needs support And so they said, okay, like, I was like, oh my God, I love you so much. So what happened was because my epidural stopped working, they said, we've got two options, a spinal. So we take it out, we do a spinal or we do a general, like you have to go into general. And I said, do general, like, I'm going to, I'm going to become paralyzed. If you do a spinal, I can't, I can't stay still. I'm in that much pain because I'm at, I probably was at 10 centimeters at that point. I was feeling everything on my left side only. And then she said, Jaden, I need you to really collect your thoughts right now because it's been really important to you that you have her on your chest. That was the one thing, sorry, that I did say. I don't care how it happens, but I want to have her on my chest. So she said, if I put you under general, 
you are not going to see your baby. You are going to be asleep. And at that point, I said, I don't care. I don't want to feel this anymore. I don't care what happens to either of us. I can't do this. We went in. She said, okay, no problem. And then they said, count backwards. And I don't remember anything. I just remember waking up in that theater room on my own with two of the midwives talking amongst themselves. Them, you know, seeing that I've woken up and they've, they've rushed over to me and said, hi, beautiful girl. And then my obstetricians run in and said, congratulations. She's absolutely beautiful. She has your eyelashes. And I remember just looking up at her and going, is she fair or dark? And she's like, she's really dark. And I was like, okay, beautiful. And she said, you'll be able to see her. You just need to take some time. And then she said, Delios, my husband, has not let anyone hold her. He's waiting for you to be the first one to hold her. He's been doing a lot of skin to skin and we had to give her a bit of formula, you know, but that's okay. And I said, yep. I said, I'm okay with that. It's all good. And then, yeah, I got to meet her three and a half hours after she was born. I went up into the room, like she got wheeled into our room. People often say, you know, they, they felt euphoria for the baby and it was like a wow moment. That didn't happen for me. That wow moment and that euphoria happened with me for my husband. Like I just saw this white light around him when he walked into the room and I just went, geez, I am so in love with you. Like I just love you so much. Like I don't even think I loved you before this. What I'm feeling right now is just, whoa, I just, I can't explain it. It was just this, I'm like, let me see her, let me see her. But you, I love you. (laughs) Wow. And and do you think part of that could have been because he was the one looking after Georgia and you just felt this overwhelming love for him and gratefulness that it was like he was protecting her until you could be there? Yeah, I think, and also I think just everything up to that moment, just like I get goosebumps just thinking about it. He's just an angel. He just holds me together. Like he holds the family together, you know? Yeah, he's he's incredible and he's an incredible father and it just showed from day one. I just went, I went to sleep in immense pain and I've woken up with a newborn baby. Like, excuse my French, but what the fuck just happened? You know, like <laughs> now, now I'm responsible for this little human. And I thought I had all the knowledge and all the experience previously because I was so not scared about mothering because, I mean, I was made for it. That's what I thought, you know. And then I've got this human who's mine and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I just know that I need to love you and keep you fed. And I know you're going to have, you're going to have a really black, thick first poo and that's okay. I'll do that one. Oh, I, You know, I, I, I knew yeah. those things, but, you know, and then she got jaundice and she had to go into, into the special care. And that was for me, I had my first panic attack in over three years, four years even, I almost collapsed in the in in the NICU department and I remember the midwife looking at me and saying it's okay this is a good thing she's getting there like she's getting heat therapy you don't want her to be in here for anything else like this is a good thing and I remember looking at the woman and going this is not good like she's alone she's on her own she needs her mum I'm already abandoning her like that's what my thought was Mm. 
And then it was Stelios who, you know, my husband who I could not physically go down and see her because it just was too traumatic for me. So I would express and he would go down and feed her. I would express every two hours on the go because she couldn't get on me for two days because I couldn't go down there. Was it hard for you when you were down there? Did you worry that to you it felt like she was in there for something more serious and you were worried about her and it was it was too hard for you to sort of see her and see you know other babies in incubators and things like that yeah yeah like the hospital that we were at is so beautiful you know the NICU apartment is never a nice department it's really you know it's a really sad time for families and a scary time I just could not bring myself to going in there so I'll give you an example of the level of support that I received with my obstetrician. So she went into the NICU department in the time of me having a panic attack. By the time I went back into my room, I had my obstetrician, my psychiatrist and the social worker that had worked closely with me all on a conference call to talk about whether or not we were going to, like what we were going to do and what what steps we were going to take. Were any decisions made in that meeting about your well-being mentally and, and what sorts of strategies were put in place? It was really overwhelming having them on the phone because I was like, I don't even know what's going on. Like, you know, I and, you know, they just ask questions like what's coming up for you? Why are you so frightened with her being down there? What are your thoughts? You know, and just having that chat and then getting that reassurance that she's safe and she's okay really helped because from that moment that day I had that that conversation I made an appointment to see Rebecca two weeks postpartum and obviously I was seeing Sue my obstetrician six weeks postpartum so the reason why she wanted me to see her at two weeks was because she she wanted to be very careful whether or not I was suffering from baby blues which is super common or if it was a little bit more than that we made that decision and just having that appointment locked in for me mentally I think it just went yep okay there's a plan that changed everything because I was then able to go down to the NICU ward ward and feed her on my boob and I remember my husband just being so proud of me he was like this is huge for you. Like you should be so proud of yourself. See, you're already an incredible mom. Like you're putting your stuff aside for her. Like, you know, this is amazing and blah, blah, blah. And I look back at that now, you know, three years on and I think, oh my God, Jaden, really? Like, that's a good thing that she was in there. Like, you know, but at the time it was like, you were taking my child away. Like, I'm not kidding you. I remember taking her into the, the ward, coming back to our room looking at the empty bed, like I can visualize it right now. And I felt grief. I felt like something had just happened to my baby and that she was not coming back. And I don't wish that upon anyone. Like it was horrible, but you know, then the social worker at the hospital, Deb, who I absolutely loved to pieces, my God, she basically said to me, would it have been easier for you had you have had a little tour of the NICU ward and gotten some, you know, not just being thrown straight in there, you know, and gotten some 
background on what it would look like, what it would be like. And I said, absolutely, because I literally got told that she had she had jaundice. I didn't know that she was going to be in an incubator and I didn't know that she was going to wear little goggles on her face. Mm. So that to me, I was like, and she was going to be naked in this like little solarium. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know what? None of this is okay. I, yeah, oh, yeah. I think it is really hard when you get separated from a baby, particularly your first baby. Yeah. I, I guess you don't know any differently, but then it's quite difficult because it's not what you expect. What did your obstetrician explain to you about the birth? I got the impression that the main reason for induction was a suspected larger baby. Was that the main reason? And and how much did Georgia weigh? She only weighed 3.3 kilos. So she was a normal baby. And also we also got told that the reason the epidural stopped working because there was a glitch in the epidural. There was like a it, it had bended, if that makes any sort of sense. So it stopped working. And I think that was due to me being on my side the whole time, or I don't know, that's still a mystery. So yeah, really uncommon, but of course it happened to me and that's okay. We got through it. The recovery for the cesarean was really easy. I don't even have much of a scar today. Georgia came home and the discharge was basically to keep up with Beck to see where we go from there and then see Sue at six weeks. In terms of feeding, were you going to express and sort of try and feed her? I stayed at the hospital for seven nights. So they extended my stay just to keep an eye on my mental health and to keep an eye on me and G. Um, My milk came in. That was okay, but it wasn't enough to feed Georgia so I was doing a combination of formula but I pumped around the clock for six weeks straight two and a half to three hours just to get my milk in and look it worked to a degree but I was mixed feeding I think for me personally I've never been one to get really like Stelios in the hospital he I was like you know squirting the colostrum out and he was putting it in the syringe and as he (laughs) as he pushed it up the whole colostrum got lost like he squirted all of it out and it went onto the wall of the hospital and I remember the the midwife coming in and saying okay so where is it and I'm like well it's all over the wall but it's okay we'll get more and she looked at me she goes Jaden you're a funny one you cry over things that like that usually people would not cry over But the things that people usually cry and get very affected by, i.e. colostrum on the floor or on the wall, you're not crying over, like you're really relaxed about. So I think for me, I was very relaxed about the breastfeeding journey because I was like, you know what? My pediatrician said to me, breast is best, but food is better. So if you're giving her food and she's meeting her milestones and she's hitting those targets, you're doing a great job. She'll still thrive. And that's what I think the messaging, it it would definitely be helpful to to know that for women who've really tried and you really did try. I tried everything. I had meals. I had had everything. (laughs) Okay. So then you you moved to formula and then you felt, did you feel like that um, felt a relief once you moved to formula? Did you feel like you were starting to get more of a routine and start to feel like, okay, I've kind of got this mum 
thing down yeah. packed a bit more now? Basically, we went to Europe when she was eight weeks old to be a best man. My husband needed to be the best man for his best friend. So we went to Greece at eight weeks old. And this was around the time that I was really struggling mentally. I think because I was just, you know, pumping around the clock. My boobs weren't working. I was on a nipple shield. She had a tongue tie. So we had to go and take her to a specialist. They wanted to snip, but we were going to Europe. And if there were complications, I didn't feel safe taking her to a hospital there. And there was just too much going on. So I decided not to get the snip, do the nipple shield instead. It was really overwhelming because I didn't know anything. I didn't know that I would have to pump around the clock. I didn't know that I had to use a nipple shield and get used to that, let alone get used to having her on my boob. So there was a lot of stuff going on for me. And then eight weeks we went to Europe and I was so anxious because I was like, what am I going to do on the plane if my boob's not enough? So I brought all the bottles, all the formula, it was the best thing that happened because I had to use, like, I believe that things happen for a reason. And I'm a strong believer that the universe gives you what you can handle, nothing ever more. So if someone's going through something really, really tough, know that you can get through it because you wouldn't be going through it if the universe didn't believe that you could get through it. So, you know, I always remind myself of that when things are hitting the fan. We changed her formula in Europe and she started sleeping through the night. Now, through I'm not putting it as formula. Okay, but I think I was much more relaxed when we went to Europe. I was outside of my four walls. I had my mother-in-law by my side. We were in another country. I just got to disconnect from everything and just be with my husband and my daughter. And I don't know, I was just so much more relaxed when I was over there. And it was the best thing I ever did for my daughter, for my husband, for us. It was incredible. And then from there is when I started really getting confident. I was starting to nail, you know, this motherhood, you know, grasping it and going, okay, you know what? If I can travel 27 hours abroad with an eight-week-old, I've got this. (laughs) You know, if I'm going to the bathroom, would that be on in front of me and her on me? It's not ideal, but I've got this. It's okay. Going overseas sort of gave you that. Yeah. perspective shift and did that actually really help your mental state yeah look it really truly truly did it's not to say that I didn't have some low points you know I got postnatal which I'm very open about on made for mums you know that was really hard for me yeah it was actually after we got back from Europe and I went back to my four walls <laughs> I don't know, something, I just got this overwhelm. Did you find that after your husband went back to work and the rest of the world went back to their routine, that that was when it hit? Yeah, and I, you just took the words out of my mouth. It was when, so my husband went back to work a week after we got back from Europe. So Georgia was around 12 weeks and I was okay for the first week. Like there's actually a post on Instagram that I've got on my personal that's like, yay, Um, have managed to take Bub for a walk on my own, you know, go me. Like I was really proud of myself. And then, you know, the elevator stopped working in our apartment block. So that was really freaking me out. None of my visitors could come up. And if I needed something, what was going to happen? And all these things started happening like in my my mind. And and I remember my mother-in-law calling me and I had just had the biggest cry. Like I'm talking like I was a mess. And I'd called my husband and said, I'm struggling. I need you home. And he's like, I'm on my way. And my mother-in-law called me straight after and said, "Um, 
hi, darling, I just want to check to see how you and Baba. I'm like, yeah, we're really good. All's good. And it was the first time I'd ever, ever lied about how I felt. And I don't know why I did. I just didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to speak of it. I just wanted to be left alone. And I wanted to be in my four walls, not having to explain anything to anyone because I couldn't explain what I was feeling. I didn't know. It was scary for me. And that's when she rocked up to my house and I just burst into tears and I said to her, I want to live with you guys. (laughs) And she's like, yes, yes, come, please come and live with us. You know, because I knew that they they only had a year left before they went back to Greece. And I thought, you know what? I I just want to be with them while my husband's at work. You know, they can help me. I can get some extra support. And we did. That's what we did. We moved in with them. And it was a godsend for me. And at that moment, I remember calling um, Rebecca and saying, I need to see you. And she said to me in that session, this is no longer baby blues. Let's talk medication. So, you know, going on the, the medication really helped. And for me personally, it just took the edge off the the intensity of what I was feeling. I was still feeling a lot of things, but for me, it just helped me regulate my highs and lows. I wasn't having as many roller coaster feelings. It's not a long-term fix, but just to help me through this postpartum, I need it. You know, my, my daughter needed me. My husband needed me. When did you feel ready to have another baby? How, what was your mental sort of state like by the time you sort of felt ready to, I guess, get pregnant again? Or what, was that planned? Yeah, that was definitely little Rhea, little baby Maria. She's my angel. She was definitely planned. I had the support of my in-laws. We were still living with my in-laws. Georgia, um, she was walking, you know, she was starting to talk a little bit and And I said to my husband, you know, should we go for baby number two? And he's like, oh, my God. I said, well, you know, I want them close. I don't want them far apart. And he's like, and I said, you know, I feel like I'm in a really good headspace. I feel like, you know, we're good. Like, let's do it. And he's like, all right, let's talk to Sue. Let's talk to everyone and, you know, see if they're on board and what they think, whether it's too soon or, you know. And evidently, like, you know, it's up to us at the end of the day. But we just wanted to have a chat with our with our health team and just see, you know, what they, what they think of it. And yeah, they were all on board. Like, you know, my obstetrician's like, what, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, um, I want to have a VBAC. She's like, yes, let's do it. She was so supportive. She was like, yes, I definitely think you can do it because you got to nine and a half centimeters. Yes. You needed a little bit of help, but had we have not done the induction, we would not have known whether or not you know, you could have done that on your own, maybe. She said, I'm more than happy to, to get you to 39 weeks without an induction. Like, I'm happy to do that. Let's see how your body goes. And let's, yeah, let's prep for it. She needed to get surgery on her brain because she had a tumor. So I didn't have her as my obstetrician, which was a real tough moment for me because I didn't know whether or not I was going to gel with my new obstetrician that came recommended by her that was taking over her practice for the time. But luckily enough, things went well and I wasn't as anxious with Maria as I was with Georgia. My placenta was at the back, so I felt her 24-7, which I think for me mentally changed everything. 
it was a much more cruisy pregnancy. I forgot I was pregnant half the time. In actual fact, I looked amazing when I was pregnant with Maria. I <laughs> I felt amazing. I looked amazing. I got complimented all the time. I was running. I was jogging. And mind you, I got gestational diabetes. So I had to like do insulin. It didn't phase me. I was like, okay, you know what? It's all good. We've got this. And I wasn't on medication in my pregnancy. Like I came off my medication and we just had a plan to go on medication the moment I have her, like just to help me a little bit. If I needed it, we went in the 21st of August. I went in with a few cramps. My mucus plug had come out and I said to Stelios, I was like, okay, it's happening. Like my body is going into labor. I got acupuncture. I was bouncing on that ball 24 seven. I, you know, we had sex. We, oh, it was all on. Did you have an induction day booked in for this feedback? And you were trying, I guess, for your body to go into spontaneous labor. So you were doing acupuncture during this pregnancy, anything else, obviously you were running. So you were fit. Did you do any other preparation mentally for the VBAC? I didn't do a lot of mental preparation. I didn't have the time. I had Georgia physical preparation. When I say I was running, I wasn't any Kathy Freeman. I was like literally running around with Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Like there was no like professional athlete. (laughs) I was just running around my toddler. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. Like it actually is true. You spend so much time running around your little toddlers that it it can be, it's counting as exercise. That's it. Totally. Oh, I'm so owning that. (laughs) <laughs> but you know I just wanted to make that very clear to the listeners yes yeah, so so with Maria I was just more like yeah we're doing it like there was no other option actually I just manifested it I just went we are doing a VBAC to the point where everyone was like okay but we also need to talk about you know whether you don't have the VBAC and I'm like yep yeah, we can talk about that we all know where that's going to lead me to so that's okay we already got that covered with the first pregnancy let's talk VBAC we are getting a VBAC. I'm getting that VBAC. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. Then I joined, you know, the VBAC stories like on Facebook. The VBAC Australia support group. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. And, you know, there were lots of stories in there. And I think I was probably one of the, the few that really, you know, spoke highly of my obstetrician and said that she's really supportive and stuff. And I then went into hospital. I called Sue because she, she had um, overcome all her chemo and everything by the time that I was ready to give birth, which I was so fortunate for because I just wanted her to deliver my baby. She said to me, look, go into the hospital, um, get her measured because I had gestational diabetes as well. She's like, I just want you to go in, make sure you bring everything with you. And then, you know, I'll call the hospital to stay updated. I said, okay, cool. Went in and they're like, look, you've dilated two centimeters, but you know, you're getting induced tomorrow. You could go into labor tonight. There's a lot of mucus coming out. You can either go home and rest or you can stay because you're in here tomorrow morning anyway for the induction. And I said to my husband, what do you want to do secretly? I just wanted to stay at the hospital because I was like, let's get this going. Like I'm excited. And he's like, well, let's go home. Like, you know, we can sleep in the bed. Like, you know, we can relax. And I was like, no, actually, let's stay. And he's like, okay, don't know why you asked, but let's, yes, let's stay. Perfect. So we ended up staying at the hospital. We FaceTimed Georgia. We told her that, you know, we'll be bringing home her baby sister. She stayed with my mom. It was COVID. So I was really anxious about leaving Georgia. 
again, the abandonment came up for me. So I think for me, I did a lot of mental preparation around that. And that looks like, you know, really involving her in the pregnancy. And like, you know, when Maria would kick, I would, you know, put her hand on my tummy and I would really, really involve her in the whole pregnancy aspect and always talk to her about the baby and say that, you know, you're going to be with Yaya for four days. How exciting, you know, really talk it up. Um, So it was more so I'm bringing her home something for her to have forever. By the time I was in the hospital, that was like a holiday for me. I said to my husband, I was like, can we stay an extra few nights? Like, this is just, this is bliss. Like, this is so good. You know, we had room service. Like, it was great. You doing rupture. Were you ever concerned at all during your pregnancy about that? Did that cross your mind about no, rupture? I just, Sue had said to me and Gemma had said to me, like the obstetricians, they had said to me, look, having a VBAC, you know, there, there is a risk. The likelihood of that happening, not very high. She said, and I said, look, stop. Like there's risks with cesareans and there's risks with VBACs. You guys are going to look after me. It's okay. And she said, yeah, but you, you do know that there's a risk either way that you go. And I said, yeah, but I want to go VBAC. So whatever you say to me, it's fine. I want to go VBAC. But I was trying, if I'm being honest, like, and call me naive, like I was just trying to be really in the moment and present. And I didn't want to really think of the negatives, you know, and, and I just want to add in here, which is something that's really important that when I gave birth to Georgia as a cesarean, it did not take away for me being a mum. I did not feel any less connected to her. I did not feel I didn't feel any less empowered. I didn't, I didn't feel those things at the time with her. I didn't have that perception of like, well, you know, I didn't give birth through the vagina. So, you know, like I didn't give it naturally. So I'm less of a mum. or, you know, I didn't have any of that. And I never compared myself to anyone that had a natural birth to a cesarean. I didn't think one was better than the other. Then what was the reason that you pursued the VBAC? For me personally, I just wanted to live this life having had experienced a vaginal delivery. It was just a personal thing for me. Not that it was better, not that it was worse, but just... Yeah, that's right, yeah. I just, for me, I just personally wanted to experience that once. Yeah. You know, just to say, and just to really say that, you know, I can do it. Like, I feel like a lot of things in my life have come, you know, have come quite easy and, you know, and hard as well. But I've always sort of taken the easy route with a lot of things in my past. And I feel like with this, this was a bit of a a self-accomplishment to say that, you know what, like I can do it and I'm able to do it. My body is able to do it. Again, I really want to stress that there is nothing wrong with, you know, with people that can't do it or choose not to do it. Everyone's got their own reasoning. And I don't think that should be judged at all. If I had have had a natural delivery the first time, I probably would have opted for a cesarean the second time because I just wanted to experience both of them. That's interesting. You know? Yeah. And I'm just sort of thinking that now out aloud. Like, I don't know if I would have gone natural the second time. There was a tear or if there was a complication with my delivery, 
I probably would have said, you know what, if it's easier, let's set a date. I know she's coming on that date and let's, you know, lock it in. I haven't been pro or con any of them. Yeah. I'm not that, I'm not that um, woman. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, when they pricked me and my waters came out, I had nine hours to get into active labor because of, so there was meconium in the waters. And because they knew and the hospital knew how important it was for me to get a VBAC, I just felt so supported. They kept Georgia monitored at all times. They kept me monitored and they gave me six hours to start with to get into active labor. And then I got to six hours and I was like walking around dancing and you know but I was really tired so I was sleeping in and out and that was concerning the midwife because she was like you're not you're only at two centimeters like you haven't moved and you're sleeping so that tells me that you know things aren't progressing so you know the baby's fine so she's good we're not concerned about that but you've got to like Sue wants to give you another two hours just because the baby's okay but I dare say in two hours, she's going to want to put you, like take you down for a cesarean. And I said, okay, yep. So I had two hours. I was bouncing. I was, I got in the water. There was a few contractions. I couldn't handle the contractions like I could with Maria, with Georgia. They were just an intensified feeling. Like I could feel Maria's head right in the canal. I didn't do any calm birth before that hand. Like I didn't do anything. So I was really out of my depth. I wanted to get out of the bath. And because it was COVID, I only had my husband in the room. Normally, like I had my mom, my mother-in-law and my grandmother. So the midwives, they were great. God bless Jenny. She, every time I said, shh, she would talk. And I'd be like, shut up, please stop, stop. Like I just couldn't hear anything. And then I was like, get me out of the water. Two hours passed and I think I got to like three centimetres and she said, I need to call Sue and let her know that you've only moved to three centimetres. It's been nine hours. And that's when I broke down and I said, I don't want a cesarean, please, please. She goes, what have you, like, have you done everything? I said, I've done everything. She said, have you, you know, done some nipple work and like, you know, have you tried to get some colostrum out? And I said, no, I actually haven't done that, but I was doing that up until my pregnancy anyway, because of my gestational diabetes for Bob. Well, as I started on my right boob, I was getting severe contractions. Then I went on to my left boob. Oh my God. Oh my God. Get me the happy gas. And then everything <laughs> went from like zero to a hundred. So my boobs worked their magic. And I am. Um, That's amazing. I, yeah. I got into that spontaneous labor let's not call it spontaneous because let me tell you a bloody nine hours of hard work went into that and yeah so we got there and then I got my epidural and then I could still feel it in actual fact I was with Georgia I was like a beautiful patient I was very calm cool and collected with Maria I was like no you guys don't know what you're doing like no you can't put the you can't put the epidural through my vein on my hand it doesn't work you're not listening to me. And he just, the anesthetist was brilliant. He just grabbed my hand and went bang, put it straight into my hand. And he's like, sorry, what did you say? It wasn't going to work. And I was like, oh my God, you're a lifesaver because the arm was really annoying. 
It was just horrible. He was brilliant. I got to go in and out of sleep and I could still feel some contractions, which was great. They allowed me to have a second support person and that was going to be my grandmother. But due to COVID, they suggested due to her age, it wasn't a safe place for her to come. I think it was like 11 p.m. I called my best friend, who's the godmother of my children, and she said, what's happening? What's going on? And I said, I need you. I need you. And she's like, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Do not get that cesarean. I'm like, I think I'm going to get the cesarean. She's like, no, no, I'm on my way. So sorry, this was before the epidural. This was before the epidural, sorry. And then she came in. And the reason why I called her is because my husband, he's so supportive that I needed someone a bit brutal. At that point, he's really nurturing and really like loving. And he's not going to sit there and say to me, you're getting that V back whether you like it or not. Whereas she came in and she's like, you're getting that V back. I did not come here for you to have a cesarean. Do you understand? You're going to, you're, you're really going to piss me off. That I left my baby. I left everything for you to have a cesarean. And I was like, oh my God, there's pressure. Like I need to do this. Like, yes, I can do this. It's okay. So I got my epidural. Jaden, when you got the epidural, like what was the turning point that you said, I need to have the epidural and how many centimeters were you when, when you got it? I think I was three and a half centimeters. I was a, I was a wuss. Sorry. Like not that I was a wuss. I'm not, (laughs) some people get it like, you know, not straight away. Some people get it straight away. But if I could have gotten it, this delivery, if I could have gotten it like as soon as I felt it, yeah, I would have done it straight sooner. Yeah. You I actually just, made a comment that the contractions felt even more intense, oh, would you say, than the induction? They were so intense. I felt everything. And let me tell you, a lot earlier than Georgia. And it was, yeah, wow. It was painful. But it was a good pain. Like it wasn't something that I would, I would do it again tomorrow. You know, like the whole VBAC experience was incredible because after my epidural came in, like I was tossing and turning, like I knew what to do, what not to do. Plus I had my best friend there, you know, and my husband. So they were laughing, they were taking, like, it was just a really awesome experience. And then they came in to give me like, just to check where I was at. And she's like, okay, you're 10 centimeters. I'm going to prep you for pushing. And I was like, oh, what? What do you mean? I was so excited because I felt like I needed to do a poo. I was like, I really need to go to the bathroom. She's like, no, you don't. That's you and your body getting ready to push. Can you just hold it? And I was like, um, yeah, I can, I think. Yeah, it's okay. She's like, look, you need to push, but you know, and I was like, okay. And then my husband had I could see his face. He was just, again, so proud. Like, you know, we're doing it. You're doing this. Like, you are incredible, you know? And I cried because I was like, I can't believe that I can do this. I'm doing it. I just couldn't believe that this was my reality. And I said, I need Sue. I need Sue. And she's like, it's okay. We've still got some time. Don't worry. It's okay. She'll be here. And I was like, okay. So Sue arrives. She's like, Jaden, we're doing it. How do you feel? And I was like, amazing. I don't feel anything. I just need to go to the bathroom. Let's do it. She's like, that's, okay. <laughs> that's so interesting. So you had the epidural, obviously, in, in, in at this point, but you felt enough pressure that you knew it felt like you needed to go to the toilet. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So anyway, so I gave birth to her. I pushed her out. So Sue came in and she's like, okay, let's get your legs up. I was sitting up. I wasn't laying down. 
<laughs> my husband was on one leg. The midwife was on the other leg. Raquel had the phone recording. And I mean, like, you know, 99 kilos. Like, I'm not, I'm not light. The midwife had to have a break because she's like, wait, I'm just going to check the monitor for a second. <laughs> And then my best friend's like, I'll take over. It's okay. And then the midwife's like, are you okay? Like, do you need a break? And she's like, no, she's perfectly fine. Let's do this. I gave one push and the head was there. Sue, my obstetrician, having gotten to know me so well, she's like, Jaden, I'm going to bring in the mirror. How do you feel about that? And I was like, yes, I think that would be great because I'll be able to see it. I'm a very visual person. Yeah, 20, I think it was 22 minutes later with a few pushes, deep pushes, I gave birth to little Maria. Sue was like, pull her out, get her, grab her. And I was like, what? And I pulled her out and then I put her on my chest and I wanted to do it all over again. It was the most incredible, empowering. Oh, I just, I can't explain the level of freedom, love, and I can't explain it. I get really emotional because I go, how did that little person who I see today come out of me? How? Like it it was a different experience to Georgia. Like I can't deny that and I I can't lie about that. It doesn't take away how much I love Georgia. But this whole experience and watching her be born and it was incredible. It was just incredible. You know, so many people have said to me, you know, did it change motherhood for you? You know, giving birth naturally. I don't think giving birth naturally changed motherhood for me. I think watching her be born as her mother changed motherhood for me. Now, whether that was because it was natural, whether that was because I was asleep giving birth to Georgia made a difference, I I think it did. Um, You know, I can't sit here and say how I would feel having a cesarean, having her straight on my chest. I didn't have that experience. Yeah, I just wouldn't change it for the world. And you know what? I wouldn't change Georgia's delivery either. Like, I just wouldn't. Because, yeah, I don't think it would have gotten me to where I am today. I don't think I would have pushed enough to get that V back with Maria if I hadn't have gone through what I went through with Georgia. With Maria, she had to go into the NICU ward as well because of her oxygen levels and stuff. So, you know, there was a bit of chaos there, but it was fine. You know, it was just a lot more manageable. And, you know, do I put that down to being medicated and having that edge possibly because I did start my medication a week before giving birth. I just think giving birth is such a personal experience. And I think every single person's story is so unique and so incredible. Like I think we're just superhumans. The other thing I actually wanted to ask you was about your recovery, I suppose, from the birth. Did you tear with this birth? Yeah, I did. I had a um, second degree tear, Mm -hmm. which was fine. But the recovery, I'm not going to lie, was a lot more brutal than the cesarean. Yeah, they were giving me super dupers, like ice packs. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right, for my vagina. The reason why I specifically got body ice in my hampers 
for made for moms is because it's a lot nicer than having just an ice block down there. It's like a strip. If I had have known about that beforehand, <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> I just love the fact that you just said it was like having an ice block in your vagina. <laughs> it was literally <laughs> super duper. I'm all for them, for the mouth, but not for the vagina. I just think that needs to be tailored. And that's why Made for Mums, we've got it tailored. So I think I had a lot of that going on and like swapping it around and, you know, and then I had to like sit with a towel in a circle because my bottom couldn't like sit on the floor. And I remember saying to my husband, shit, like you give birth and then you've got to go through this straight after it. Like this is wow. Yeah, I think it took me about six weeks to properly sit down. It felt like I had a ball just constantly stuck in between my bottom and my vagina. And every time I sat down, the ball would not budge. And that's the best way I can explain it. Because I had no hemorrhoids. Like my girlfriend was like, you didn't poo yourself and you got no hemorrhoids. And you popped her out in like 22 minutes. You're a mole. Like, honestly, <laughs> So, so that was, you know, that was my experience with the postpartum. So tell us about breastfeeding this time around or bottle feeding. What happened there? So Maria was born with hip dysplasia. I asked them to check her hips because I was just that paranoid mom. And the pediatrician was like, well, yeah, she's got, she's got dislocated left hip. Um, so she was in a pelvic. <clears throat> Pelvicinus. Yeah, so she was in that for six weeks. We got her out of that and it was just really difficult for me. Like it was super difficult for me to breastfeed and it sucked because she latched perfectly. She was such a dream feed on the boob and I had milk because I was like expressing prior to giving birth six weeks. If I had my time again, I probably would have persevered with the breastfeeding. I just was a little bit overwhelmed with the harness and she was like an astronaut and like getting her on the boob. I just made a decision and said, she's going on formula. I'm not stressing myself over this. Georgia, she's thriving. I'm sorry, you're doing formula. You're going to be a formula bird baby. And my husband said, are you sure you want to go down that route? Because, you know, you've got the boobs, you've got the milk. And I said, I've got the boobs, I've got the milk. I don't have the time to pump like I did with Georgia. Mm. And I don't have the energy to, she was just so, it was so awkward. Like, have you ever tried breastfeeding a baby that's fully harnessed? She looks yeah. like an, like she looks like an astronaut. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm not I kidding. Actually, my Valeria actually had that. Yeah. Oh, really? Um, she was in a Harley harness. And I've got a funny photo of me breastfeeding her and she does look like a little astronaut. Legs are off to the side, looks like a little froggy. And I remember that was hard to adjust to, you know, yeah. with the harness and being a first, that for me, it was my first time as well, a first time mum. But yeah, yeah I, I understand. I think that's why I said, like, if I had, if I had my time again, I probably would have persevered. There's a part of me that wishes I had a persevered with, like with Maria, you know, I made the decision at the time and it was the right decision at the time and look she doesn't stop eating she's a machine she is a little bulldozer <laughs> so in terms of longer term recovery Jaden, how are you feeling now you know Rhea's 18 months how are things down there are you feeling like back to kind of yourself now or do you still have some things to work through yeah look sex life is good 
there's no problems there. <laughs> I love it. Um, get no. to the point. Let's get to the yeah, point. That's what, <laughs> I know that's what everyone's wondering. We had sex six weeks after. It was great. In actual fact, I heard stories that, you know, it was a lot better. I can't really say that because we've always had really good intercourse. <laughs> but, yes, it did feel a lot tighter. But yeah, no, everything's great out there. Okay, that's that's good to know. Because you know how you were mentioned that you felt like there was a ball in between, like no. and stuff. That that all kind of dissipate disappeared over time, and you didn't see anyone in particular to to try and work through that or anything. No, no, okay. I wasn't letting anyone go near there. That wasn't. Okay. <laughs> so look, sex life. You know, do we wish we had more of it? Let's be real. Absolutely. You know, like, that, that falls into a whole nother another podcast in itself you could talk about it on your podcast yes someone needs to make a podcast about sex after two kids i think it's it's coming it's coming because there's there's been a whole lot of stories and it's just so mental but it's so like i wouldn't change it for the world if you had have asked me a around Christmas time when we were in lockdown. It was the first time we were in lockdown for us as our family. And Georgia was literally climbing the walls. And Maria was like, she got into this like, ah, like she just screams for nothing. <laughs> I, I just looked at Celios and I was like, I'm out. I'm getting the keys to the car and I'm leaving. And I'm also never returning. Like I'm done. And he's like, all right, you're being really dramatic. Like, you know, I hear you, like, it's really hard. But, you know, it's not nice to hear that. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not hearing me because I'm being fucking serious. Like, I'm out of here. This is, no, this is true COVID. Well, true lockdown with toddlers. Uh, lockdown. Yeah, lockdown with small yeah, kids. So definitely, yeah. yeah. Definitely have those oh. moments. I don't want people to think that, you know, the way that I see things is the way that it should be because that's not what I'm saying. It's just my personal experience. It's, that's exactly right. And yeah. that's what we hear women who do come on the podcast. They do talk about it from like their own experience. And yeah. um, it's just really interesting to hear though, because it is your experience. It is your story and it's unique. And yeah. um, that's what's kind of cool about the podcast and listening to stories is because, you know, what you went through with the general anesthetic that's a traumatic experience to some women you know um but in your scenario it sounds like you were really you had a really great connection with your obstetrician it sounds like she was the right fit for you and for your for your ideas I know you weren't you weren't really set on a particular type of birth but she supported you in what whatever you wanted it sounds like it really helped with your mental state in the pregnancy and Absolutely. having someone you didn't have that extra battle of um, having to argue or having to you know yeah. that extra stress that some women do have with their care provider because there's a mismatch um, your obstetrician was a, a really good fit for you she Made was on you, your uh, side yeah it and, sounded like she had your back through that yeah through everything I wanted to ask you about your business and about made for mums how did this come about so made for mums came from my other best friend laura saying to me that she's going to put together a hamper of all the things that i used with georgia that i didn't know that caused me a lot of angst which was like you know the hucker the nipple shields you know nipple pads and things like that like just real practical things that i got to learn in my motherhood journey with Georgia 
that I wasn't aware of. And I was like, that is such a brilliant idea. And yes, please. Thank you very much. So she was like, you know, I'm going to get you some undies that you put on and then you can just like dispose them. And, you know, I just basically said, you know, there's so many beautiful hampers out there and there's so many beautiful things, but there's not a lot of practicality in those beautiful campers, like with Georgia bringing her home, we had so many gifts, so many flowers, so many things. They just weren't practical. Chocolate was super practical. Loved it. (laughs) Donuts, all that jazz. Great. I basically said to my husband, I think I'm going to put together some practical hampers for mums and really offer what I found really practical for me, which was like, you know, a water bottle because I was so thirsty whilst I was breastfeeding hair elastics because I could never find hair elastics you know dry shampoo because when those random visitors would come over I hadn't washed my hair in three days so quick bit of dry shampoo and I looked fab you know sometimes I'd forget to eat so I found a really beautiful mum and daughter duo that own smoothie bombs then we've got mummy village so mummy village it's coming soon and there you'll find our own podcast which I'm super excited to launch And we've got recipes and we've got a directory and lots of other things that you'll see in the time to come. But I think for me, it's something that's really close to home. I've teamed up with Gidget Foundation because they helped me with my journey through motherhood. Per hamper that's sold, there's a $5 donation that goes to Gidget House Foundation. So every hamper that gets sold, they get $5 plus. With every hamper that's sold, they get Genevieve Muir, who I don't know if you guys have heard of her, Connected Parenting. She's incredible. And when they're buying from, you know, from my website, they're not only supporting um, other families with Gidget House Foundation, but they're also supporting, you know, my family as a Sydney mum. And they're also giving back. What you're doing is really great. You know, and that's in knowing that when you're supporting your business, you're also supporting Gidget Foundation and things that helped you on your journey. The hampers are actually really beautiful as well. And I like how they're tailored to different needs. It was but, so great to meet you. Thank you for talking to us. It was really lovely to hear your story and, and all about your business and, and how you've overcome the challenges that you did experience during your, your prenatal and postnatal period. So I think that a lot of our listeners will find that comforting and inspiring so thank you and thank you for having me thank you for listening to this feedback journey if you like the show please subscribe leave us a review or consider joining our patreon we thank you very much for your support VBAC birth stories is a podcast where we share women's lived experiences please be advised that it's not intended to replace medical advice. If you have any concerns at all during your pregnancy, please always speak to your healthcare provider.